Amen. Hey, once again, we are in our study, Voodoo Vampires and the Rise of Demon Worship. We've already dealt with the existence of demons, the character of demons, the tactics of demons. And then for seven weeks, we dealt with the history of demon worship, i.e. getting people to seek spiritualism, i.e. advice from demons, direction from demons, actual demonic contact instead of the word of God. And we dealt with that so we could say, how in the world did this happen? Not just in the world, but even in the church. People are seeking advice from demonic activity and demonic practices. Then we saw that was bad enough. Then it's branched off. In case they can't get you with spiritualism off the word of God, okay, they're going to try to get you with voodoo was the first one we saw for many different studies. Then, well, if they can't get you with voodoo, then they're going to get you with shamanism. Okay, was the next one that we saw. And then the last two times we saw, well, if they can't get you with that, then they're going to come in with Druidism. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of Druids on the planet. You're going to see this tonight, and they don't even know they're Druids. Okay, because they've repackaged themselves, and we're going to expose that tonight. But it's straight up Druidism 101. So we began to take a look at this, and the first thing we looked at was the history of Druidism. Of course, the history of the Judaism, the barbaric people, remember that, the Celts? Uh, they've kind of retreated, if you will, after the Romans kind of dealt with them to Ireland, Scotland, but they were the largest people group in all of Europe. And this was their religion, Druidism. And of course, it was headed by the Druids. Okay, this is a pagan occult religious system. So we took a look at their spiritual beliefs as well. And these people, of course, were run by these guys, Druids. Now, they were not illiterate. They were what's called alliterate, meaning no literate. They didn't write down their religious beliefs and practices because they felt it was so holy. So it's all oral tradition. And so the Druids had a uh, capitalized on the whole thing, and they reiterated generation down to down, from generation to generation, the Druid beliefs and practices. But not only them, they had some helpers called the poets or the bards, right? The bards. And what they would do is they would take the Druid beliefs and system, and they would put it to poetry. We'll see this again tonight. And music. And so they would use lyrics and music to teach sp people about spiritual things. That doesn't happen today, does it? That's the music industry, folks. And it isn't, it's either sin or some spiritual belief that counteracts God's word. It's the same thing today. But that's what Druids did. That's the Druidism. They also had beliefs uh, that they uh, would do not just animal sacrifices, but human sacrifices with the wicker man. Still going on today, unfortunately, even here in our home state of Nevada. Uh, it's just called Burning Man and things of that nature. Uh, then we looked at the last time, the practitioners. And we took a closer look at who are these people, the Druids. And it wasn't just males, there was females. So there's Druids, male, and Druidesses, female, uh, priests of this pagan religion. Now, the Druids, they took charge of absolutely everything. They judged everything, all disputes. They decreed penalties. They interpreted all questions. You couldn't understand anything of spiritual nature unless you went to the Druid priest. Sound familiar? Yep. That's what Catholics do today. Okay, it's the same mentality, but that's straight out of Druidism. Okay, uh, also, uh, if you disobeyed their decree, didn't do what the Druid priest told you, you were punished by the gravest of punishments, quote, you could not take part of their Druid sacrifice. Does that sound familiar? That's the same thing that the Catholics do with their perversion of communion that they call the Eucharist, okay? Because they literally use this as spiritual blackmail. You don't do what they say. We're going to withhold this from you. And of course, to their works-based false gospel, if you don't take uh, the Eucharist, you're doomed, right? It's the same thing, but it came out of Druidism. So he had to go to the Druid priest uh, for anything. That's the same thing Catholics. 
Uh, if you don't do what they say, they will punish you. You can't take the sacrifice. That's also the same thing. The Druids also, we saw last time, they consider themselves the creators of the universe, quote, the incarnation of the gods. You want to look? And so that's, guess what? That's Catholicism. That's the term, the Latin term, the vicar of Christ, the Pope's the vicar of Christ. He's supposed to be Christ on earth. It's the same thing, but it's all Druidism. They just repackaged it. Uh, as well. And so then we thought, well, hey, maybe that's why they dress alike. You see a Druid priest on the left. You see a Catholic monk on the right. You see a, a Druid priestess on the left. You see a nun on the right. Sure looks familiar to me. Uh, then we saw that they are big into the occult with owls and oak trees. We saw oak trees, the oak grove, and that's where they did a lot of their rituals and sacrifices and things of that nature. Uh, the oak tree was the big tree, the special tree to them. That still we saw last time being done today. In one just one case, we saw on tape the Bohemian Grove where they worshipped a worship still to this day. Uh, a 40-foot owl makes sacrifices. We saw it on tape. Somebody snuck in there and did. And politicians, past presidents, people that are supposed to be the next president, everybody goes through that cycle. It's sick. It's the same thing. Right out of what Drew is still going on today. And it's not a surprising thing because owls are an occult creature. God, if you read the scripture we saw last time, uh, considers them an unclean animal, every form of owl. Uh, as we saw in the Bible, owls are also an important symbol in Freemasonry. Owls are also uh, included on the dollar, as well as other occult symbols. We'll get into that eventually if we're still alive and still here in Freemasonry. We also saw, shocker, once again, owls are depicted in Catholic art. And the owl there depicted in this one represented, in their own words, the Jewish people, those people who need to be saved, i.e. become Catholics and things of that nature. Now we're going to get into tonight the practices of Druidism. Oh, that's that other one. Uh, the uh, one thing we left off with is the Druids also had one other practice. They ate, this is according to the Romans, they ate the flesh and they drank the blood of people because they believed that that would give them, and I quote, favor. Do you know anybody who does that today? There's your picture. Again, Catholicism, they believe that that's the literal body, the literal blood, the literal flesh, the literal blood of Jesus that they're consuming. Straight out of Druidism, it's completely blasphemous. It's unbiblical. It's supposed to be symbolic, but they believe that it actually transforms before your eyes into the literal. But it, that's straight out of Druidism, okay? But again, tonight we're going to get into the next one. That's the practices of Druidism. We're going to finish this up tonight and move on to the final one, which we'll see in a little bit. Uh, but before we get to that, as always, let's remind ourselves what happens to people who claim to be followers of a God and yet not only have the audacity to forget all of his wonderful goodness, but actually turn to occult practices. I'm kind of thinking it doesn't go good. That's my personal opinion, but hey, let's see what God has to say about it. Psalm 106 is our opening text tonight. Psalm 106, let's take a look. God, again, does not mince words. Again, get this to your head, Christian. When God says yes, praise God for that, right? You hear a lot of Christian music about the promises of God. That's what, yeah, promises of God are awesome. But you know what? He has a whole ton of no's. But see, that's where the enemy comes in and saying, oh, it's so boring to be a Christian. I don't want to be a Christian because there's so much I can't do. Not this and a bunch of do's and don'ts. And no, listen. The don'ts, the no's, are for our protection. If God tells you not to do something, listen. Right? If your mom and dad tell you not to touch the stove, don't touch the stove. How many of you guys still touched it anyway and you learned the hard way? Right, exactly, right? So again, listen, listen. No's are good too. Okay? And he's very blunt about this next no. 
And man, it does not go well. Psalm 106, of course, we're dealing with the Israelites uh, and their history of behavior, unfortunately, up and down, back and forth. And we never do that, do we? Yeah. Psalm 106, 6 uh, through 43. Here's what the word of God says. We have sinned, even as our fathers did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. When our fathers were in Egypt, they they gave no thought to your miracles and they did not remember your many uh, kindnesses and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet he, God, saved them for his name's sake to make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea and it dried up. He led them through the depths as uh, through the desert. He saved them from the hand of the foe and from the hand of the enemy. He redeemed them. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them survived. Then they believed his promises and sang his praise. But, oh boy, isn't there always a but? But they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his counsel. They did their own thing. In the desert, they, uh, they gave into their craving. In the wasteland, they put God to the test. So he gave them what they asked for, but he sent a wasting disease upon them. In the camp, they grew envious of Moses and Aaron, God's leadership, who was consecrated to the Lord. Then the earth opened up and swallowed uh, Dathan and it buried the company of Byram. Fire ablaze from their followers and the flames consumed the wicked. At Horeb, they made a calf and they worshiped an idol made from metal. They exchanged their glory for the image of a bowl which eats grass. They forgot God who saved them. What? Who had done great things in Egypt, miracles in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. So he said he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to keep his wrath from destroying them. Then they despised the pleasant land. They didn't believe his promise. They they, they grumbled in their tits. They did not obey the Lord. And so he swore to them with an uplifted hand that he would make them fall in the desert, make their descendants fall among the nations, and scatter them throughout the lands. They yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor, ate sacrifices offered to lifeless gods. They provoked the Lord's anger by their wicked deeds, and a plague broke out among them. But Phineas stood up and intervened like Moses, and the plague was checked. This was credited to him as righteousness for endless generations to come. By the waters of Meribah, they uh, angered the Lord, and, and trouble came to Moses because of them, for they rebelled against the Spirit of God, and rash words came from Moses' lips. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the nations adopted their customs. They worshiped their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to what? Demons. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was desecrated by their blood. They defiled themselves by what they did. By their deeds, they prostituted themselves. Therefore, the Lord was angry with his people and abhorred his inheritance. He handed them over to the nations and their foes ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them and subjected them to their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion and they what? They wasted away in their sin. I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I'm kind of thinking it didn't go well. For people who what? Who claimed to belong to God, but they sinned against God, they rebelled against God after they totally forgot about all of his goodness and provision and protection and deliverance and all the great stuff he did for them. And it didn't take long. And then they get involved in demonic practices. The phrase there, verse 37, they sacrificed their son and daughters to demons. It's actually the Hebrew word uh, shade, and it's actually pronounced that way, shade, Okay, and it comes from a root word, it means demon, but it comes from a root word that means this, to ruin, to destroy, to spoil, to devastate. Now, why would the Hebrew word shade come from a root word that means to ruin, to destroy, to spoil, to devastate? Because that's what demons do. And that's what happens to you and anyone who gets involved in these demonic practices. They will destroy you. You will be spoiled. You'll be devastated. You'll be destroyed. They will lead you 
astray. And then if that wasn't obvious enough, I think the words there that it didn't go well with them, the proof was that God said he was mm, angry with them, abhorred them, made them fall in the wilderness among the nations, scattered them throughout the lands, allowed their enemies to oppress them and overpower them, and they wasted away and they're saying, oh my God, why does it happen? Because you had the audacity after all the good things he's done for you. You didn't just turn from him. You turned to occult practices. What? People wouldn't do that today, would they? Yeah, and you wonder why things ain't going so well, right? But this is what we're going to see with the practices of Druidism. And dare I say, I'll make this claim. There's a lot of people who are practicing Druidism today, and they don't even know it. And you wonder why maybe things aren't going so well. Hopefully this will illuminate that for you. But let's take a look at the practices. And we saw the first practice is, again, their occult beliefs, their whole system, their whole history, their spells, their worship, their sacrifices, all the stuff that they do is not written down. It's oral. And so they recount their occult beliefs. Okay, The Druids, yes, but I want to focus in on these guys called the Bards. And the Bards were basically the poets of the day. And not just poets, what's he got? He's got a musical instrument. For those who are wondering what that is, that's not a spaceship. I know you were thinking that. Uh, he's got a musical instrument, so they would take poetry, lyrics, lyrical words, put it to music. Now, why was that? It actually helps you to remember. You ever get a song stuck in your head that's still stuck in your head? Yeah. I'll give you one. Stuck on your head. I am stuck on Bandy because Bandy's stuck on me. I wish I were an Oscar Mayer wiener. I can't believe it. The whole thing. Right, we can go on and on. Right? Except for some of you young whippersnappers, you have no clue what I was just talking about. Those were commercials from the 80s. But anyway, I digress. But let's move on for the rest of us who are not 13 years old here tonight. But anyway, but because that's what music does. It's a teaching tool. And the enemy does the same thing today. It just is stuck in your head, man. Especially if you get a catchy beat to it. But that's, that's another thing. But this is what they would do. They would go around, not just the Druids, the Bards. They would put it to music, poetry, lyrical. In fact, these guys were actually sent into battle, the Bards, these guys. Okay, They would send them into battle, and they would recount the battle, how it went, whatever, because, again, they're not writing down books. So they would go, and they would write down this poetry, and then after the battle, they put it to music, and they'd be singing about it, and that's how they'd learn about how this battle went, and they beat these guys and all that kind of stuff. In fact, it was illegal in Druidism to harm these guys. So these guys had no problems going into battle because they knew that that's the last thing you ever want to do is kill a bard because these guys are basically the historians, and they would do that thing of that nature. Now, what most people don't realize is the bardic poems, as they were called, or bardic poetry or bardic music is still big today in Europe, especially in Ireland and Scotland. In fact, they still to this day have bardic schools, and poetry is a big thing. And it's been going on for quite some time. That thing has never gone away. Let's take a look at some of that proof. The Bardic schools were, as Daniel Corkery says, ancient when St. Patrick came among us. Their origins are unknown. But they were the lay universities of their day, existing side by side with the great religious seats of learning. After Kinsale, the Bardic schools with the old Gaelic order went into decline, but lasted to the middle of the 17th century. Their demise spawned the courts of poetry, where poets met among themselves and sat in judgment on each other's work. The courts lasted into the 19th century. In Ballyvourney, the tradition of poets and poetry was revived with the establishment by Ansinia Mound and others 
of Dorfskoll Vosri Elaine in 1925. The Dorfskoll is an annual event. Do you catch that? That was awesome. <laughs> I'll never forget the first time I went to Scotland. We're checking in the hotel there. And I had to like stare that lady in the face. I had to focus eye contact. I was like, I literally trying to read her lips at the same time. I go, I maybe caught every third word and stumbled through it. I might have signed myself up for a catfish dinner and I didn't even know about it. I was just like, oh, yeah, yeah. Sure, <laughs> but but it's still going on today. Bart poems, poetry, thing like poems. I'm like, who cares about poems? Still big to say, but that's part of this druid background. It never went away, and it wasn't just that they put it to poems, and that's a big thing. You have poetry contests. Woo-hoo. Hey, forget the NFL. Let's do yeah, whatever. But I know it sounds crazy to us as Americans, but still to this day, this is big. But it's a druid background. This is their bardic culture, and it isn't just again the bards would make it lyrical or poetic. They put it to music. Now, that is also still big today. A lot of people listen to that Irish-Scottish music. Man, it's so awesome, man. I feel like skipping the hills and just beautiful and relaxing. You don't realize that you might be listening to the Druid occult practices because that's what they did. They would put it to lyrical words put to music. Let me give you one. This is not just a girl singing uh, a bardic song. This is a Druid healing chant. But listen to it. Oh, she sounds amazing. And how many people listen to this stuff and they don't even know what they're ingesting? But let's take a look at this. Come to me, Lord and Lady. Heal this spirit, heal this soul. Come to me, Lord and Lady. Mind and body shall be whole. Beast of the burning sunlight, see this wound that pain may cease. Mistress of watery midnight, hold us fast and bring us peace. Come to me, Lord and Lady, heal this spirit, heal this soul. Come to me, Lord and Lady, mind and body shall be Now, again, notice what she is calling upon. It's the gods and goddesses and the Druid, Gaelic, Celtic traditions and things of that nature. And, that's, that's, and it's not just a song. It's a song because it's like a chant. It's supposed to be a healing chant. And again, how many times do people listen to stuff and they say, oh, this just sounds so wonderful. You're not paying attention to the lyrics. Let's go back to music today. Oh, I just listened to it for the beat. You're not paying attention to the lyrics. It goes into your brain, man. You better be careful. Now, some of these just uh, also, they're not just for so-called healing. That was supposed to be a healing song, bardic poetry. Uh, some of them are actually violent and vindictive. Let me give you just one more example uh, of that. Shen <laughs> 
Shan through a nach mischa nach mischa shan through a nach mischa ben fortin shan through a nach mischa nach mischa sen van yeah. Hey, kids, come on. Let's sing that Irish song. That's so cool. And it said, what? A jealous woman's in love with a married man. She's going in a boat to go get him. And the woman he's with, too bad she ain't dead. Quote, may your legs and bones be broken. It's a pity I'm not his wife and you're not dead. Woo! Yeah. It was so awesome. We did our chores in record time because it was so relaxing. You know what goofy it is? That's like that ring around the rosy song. We dealt with this before. Right? Ring around the rosies. Hogger full of palsies. Right? Ashes, asses. You all fall down dead. Remember that? That was a European song they came up with describing the Black Plague. The first phase when you got the Black Plague is your cheeks became rosy with circles. Ring around the rosies. Okay? Pocket full of posies. You started to stink. You were dying, decaying. So they would put posies in the pockets to hide the smell. Ashes, ashes, that was the final stage when your body became pale. You're about to die, and we all fall down dead. <laughs> it's nuts, right? But anyway, so back to this. This is what they're doing. Uh, the Druid religion also, you had to work your ways up to levels of spirituality. And this was no small feat. This took years. They had Druid colleges, uh, and you had to work your way up through the system of ladders and what all this stuff to make it to the next stage of druid levels, okay? Let me share that with you uh, here. In our days, the word druid conjures thoughts of magic, wizardry, and spiritualism. Their hierarchy was based on levels of knowledge, beginning with use of either sex at the level of aspirant. As the use developed, they attained the next level, referred to as ovate. Once these youths reached their adulthood, as deemed by their respective clans, they became novitiates. There were 12 stages of novitiate, from the first cycle to the twelfth cycle. Thus, at the end of a 12-year novitiate, they came to the rank of druid, abandoning the colored robes of lesser rank to don the black or gray robe of the druid. After a period of highly specialized training, generally lasting from three to five years, depending on the individual, the druid became a high druid, wearing an all-white robe, and specializing as an instructor in arts, general teaching, counselors, arbitrators, judges, and many more. Apparently, positions above high druid were elected, on a special day each year called the Day of Renewal. The next level that a druid could attain was that of Chief Druid, ruling over a group of clans and wearing white robes with scarlet trim. Trim design was governed by the group of clans, and many different symbols were used, from trees to animals, to eventually, Celtic knotwork and designs. Above this level came the archdruids, who wore white robes with gold trim. This post governed geographical regions, with several chief druids under them. Their general had their own retainers, and administered the great druid colleges, which they would locate in sacred woods or groves. Well, too bad we don't see anybody else who's also big on robes and staffs and going through different levels and each robe with the different colors and different kind of a staff and because that symbolizes your next level of making it up all the way to the top so you can make that way to an archbishop. I mean, an archdruid, arch. 
Folks, it's the whole Catholic system again. All of it. Everything is straight out of Druidism. Including, it's like, what, 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 are you, what are you guys so big on these wands you carry, these staff things, whatever? What's with the hats? What's with the different color? Well, it's all descriptive, just like Druidism, of the next level. And they have to go through their colleges and things of that nature. Nothing new under the sun. Uh, it's the same practice uh, being practiced today uh, with Catholicism. Druids were also responsible for harvesting medicinal herbs. Uh, again, it basically was another form of shamanism that the Druid was also the doctor of the culture. You went to them and things of that nature. And of course, it's a cult, so they would come up with different uh, potions and remedies and things of that nature. So let's take a look at that real quick. Magic was performed by using three key elements, spells, including incantation, gestation, and material usage, amulets, and power items. Posture was important as well, the proper stance being recorded as standing on one leg with one arm outstretched and one eye closed. This appears to be a universal druidic stance. They had a range of spells for weather control, healing, human and animal fertility shape-shifting, invisibility and hypnosis, animation of trees and rocks, morphing of trees and rocks into fully armed warriors, illusions and mass hallucination. Common amulets with a wheel or disc, a white marble ball, quartz pebbles and crystals, boar teeth, amber, phallus symbols, and of course, animal symbols. Animal amber figures were considered extremely powerful by the druids. They made potions as well, being world-renowned for poisons, aphrodisiacs, and the drink of oblivion, which would cause the imbiber to suffer complete memory loss. Power items used by the druids included wands. They were made from yew and willow, staves made of oak and ornamented with mistletoe, and an item called glane, or a magical snake egg. Geodes were considered to be powerful, as well as any natural crystal. And they even ritually grew primrose for the fairies. Sounds like Harry Potter. Yeah, you get a lot of, a lot of inspiration from that, okay? Because uh, you got a blending with Harry Potter of Druidism and witchcraft, European witchcraft and things of that nature. But we've dealt with that before. Also, another thing, a popular thing that would, uh, in, in the occult, they would do the, you know, of course, you saw the wands. And, of course, with the Druids, it was big with the trees. But a lot of the occult people, uh, it would have to be, uh, you couldn't just make any wand. It would be depending on the wand, depending on the wood, the tree, the type of tree, okay? And one wand that was used, as we saw before, uh, that was supposed to mesmerize people came from the wood of the holly tree. And that wand would mesmerize people. <gasps> Learn something new every day. It's amazing. Yeah. The Druids also practiced the rite of sacrificing their hair to the gods. So they would shave their head. You're going to see that in an example in a little bit. And, shocker, as if you haven't seen enough parallels yet to Catholicism with Druidism, uh, guess what the Druids also practice? Infant baptism. I couldn't believe this. I accidentally came across this. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. Right? But let's watch this. This was their practice. Their temples were simple affairs, usually a table stone, pile of stones, or sacred wood supported by stone, located in open spaces in forests, sacred groves, mounds, caves, lakes, rivers, or even the eldritch stone circles left behind by the mystical, stone followers of the distant past. Druids also practiced a form of baptism for newborns, sprinkling the baby with river, lake, or seawater to consecrate the birth. And there it is today. 
We don't baptize infants because does an infant know anything it's doing to make a decision, yes or no, Jesus being your Savior? Of course not. We'll do baby dedications, right? But that's not what they're doing. They believe that this is going to earn merit. This is the first step of that baby earning merit with God. No, it's not. That's works-based false gospel. But where does it come from? Druids did the same thing. It's almost like somebody just repackaged Druidism and slapped a bunch of Christianese on it. Well, that is part of what's going on. Druidism is also a, quote, nature-based religion. And that's why you can see a lot of it sliding together. We'll see in a little bit New Age, Wicca, all this stuff. And you're going to see the environmental movement as well. Druid has uh, different festivals, their practices. They have eight different festivals. It's all around the four seasons. They celebrate the summer, the winter solstices, which is the longest and the shortest days of the year. They also do it at the what's called the equinoxes in the fall and spring when the days and the nights are equally long. And you're going like, well, wait a second, that sounds familiar. Uh, didn't we deal with that uh, cycle of worship, that calendar uh, with witchcraft? Absolutely. And what you're going to see is it's a perfect slide. A lot of modern witchcraft, which they changed the name to Wicca, and say, oh, don't call me a witch. I'm a Wiccan. Well, the word Wicca itself means witch. Hello. We dealt with this in our witchcraft study for 20 weeks. Who's counting? I am. And so, uh, but Wicca is the new term for old-fashioned witchcraft. Came out of Europe, repackaged, brought over here to America. We trace that historical trail. But the aspect is a lot of European witchcraft was also blended with a good heaping helping of Druidism. That's why you see a blending even of their calendars. But let's take a look at the Druid calendar system. Let's start with what the Sabbaths and the Wheel of the Year are. Notice the shaped so, head. The Wheel of the Year in the end is just a name for the cycle of one year and the passing of the seasons. And the Sabbaths are celebrations in that cycle of one year. So I don't know if I already told you, but I initially didn't start out as a Norse pagan. I started out as a Wiccan. So I also celebrated the Wiccan celebrations. So the Wiccan Sabbaths. And the Sabbaths are, I would, I would explain them as the celebrations within one solar cycle, so within one year. Whereas the Aspects, you may have heard that name already, um, the Aspects are the celebrations within one lunar cycle. So the new moons and the full moons. And the Wiccan Sabbaths are celebrated on the equinoxes and the cross quarter days. Those are eight celebrations within one year. It starts with Imbolc, then Ostara, Belsane, Lyda, Lunasa, Mabon, Samhain, and Yule. And I'm really sorry if I butcher any pronunciations. A lot of them are Celtic and I have no idea how you pronounce them. I hope I didn't butcher it too much. Mm. I left that in there deliberately. That must have been some good tea or something. <laughs> Good stuff, I'll tell you what. Or you get parsed when you start talking about that calendar, I don't know. Uh, but you saw on that calendar, the eight weeks, it was Astara, also known as Easter, which we saw was Catholicized. Again, who did it? Catholic Church Catholicized it. You also saw Samhain, or Samhain, Halloween, Catholicized, because that was the time when they believed the spirit veil was so thin that they could have better connection, the spirits can go between the worlds. Okay, the Catholics change it from Samhain to All Hallows Eve, eventually Halloween, as we know it today. And that's where they do a lot of their bonfires and things of that nature. Bonfire, bonfire. 
Uh, and then the last one, Yule, it was the Catholicizing of Yule turned into Christ Mass or Christmas, as we saw before, uh, things of that nature. So again, uh, also, they were supposedly the Druids able to tell fortunes. They practiced not only divination, but something called augury. Okay, augury, uh, if you're not familiar with it, basically it's, a, it's divination, but it's being done by interpreting signs or omens. Okay, now, two primary methods, and then we're going to move on, that they did this augury, uh, the Druids did, uh, they did it by these things. They were called runes, right? Uh, not ruins, but you will be ruined if you practice this. Uh, runes, R-U-N-E-S. It was a whole alphabet, right, that you could, uh, as you can see there, it's all spelled out for you. Uh, you could put it in a bag, and you could pick out of the bag. You could cast them, do all this. This is a form of divination. But here's what's called rune casting in action. Straight up Druidism. Watch this. What you could do first is that you could connect with the runes through the bag. You're going to set your intention of what you want, um, what your question is, and you're just going to feel for a rune in the bag, and you're just going to pull it out, and you're going to toss it. What I like to do personally is I like to put all the runes out of the bag. These are some snowflake obsidian ones. Aren't these beautiful? I've had these for five years now. So... What I like to do is I like to call on Odin or Freya, set the intention that these that my divination is um, protected by them um, as I'm doing and casting this, and then I set the intention of what my question is, and I just kind of feel for what I feel is like a sense of warmth. You'll feel like this as you connect more with the stones and as the runes, you'll feel the heat and the vibration, and you'll feel called to it, and you're just going to pull it intuitively. You're going to choose one or two, depending on if you're going to do a spread or not, and you're going to cast it. If it lands, let's say, this one landed straight upwards. This is Bercano or Bercana. So this rune would invite the awareness of like birthing things into creation, um, new concepts, new beginnings, things like that. And then there's spreads like, you know, past, present, future, which is represented by the Norns. Um, Jord, Verdandi, and Skold which is past, present, future of the Norns, or the goddesses of fate, represented in the runes. But traditionally, you're going to have 25 runes. There's one extra rune that's used in the set. I believe it's this one? No. There is a rune that will be blank amongst all the other runes, this one here. This, this represents destiny or fate. And apparently not much of a destiny or fate if it's blank. That's my theory, but uh, they keep casting those rocks down the road. Now, that's one primary means. There's many different ones. We don't have time to get into all of them, but that's the primary rune casting. I just wanted to get you familiar with that. That's Druidism. Another big one in Druidism is the human sacrifice. Uh, as you'll see, a second still goes on today. Now, this is what they would do. We talked about this a little bit before, but let's go a little bit deeper, unfortunately. Uh, just as they would, okay, depending on how that rune alphabet rock thing landed and shape and letter and top to bottom, whatever. Uh, and then that was, you're going to be able to interpret that omen, that sign. They did the same thing with human sacrifice. And here's what they did. They would consecrate a human being to death, plunge a dagger into their chest. And then you're like, well, how is that supposed to foretell anything and discern this omen or what? Quote, uh, depending upon when they stabbed him in the chest, then they would watch the limbs depending on how the limbs would convulse 
and how the blood squirted forth, they would read that like they're reading these rocks. Quote, you got a rope tied around the neck, and at the moment where the neck was constricted, the throat was cut, which adds pressure, and that's one of the biggest arteries. And then however that sprayed and however they were squirming, then that's how they would do that. And they would have them eat mistletoe, so that would be inside their gut uh, as well. They were done publicly. They were done during the calendar that we just saw, specifically a Beltane was a big one. They would also do private sacrifices. Uh, and sometimes it was a self-sacrifice. To make a petition to the gods, sometimes we require, quote, self-sacrifice. Well, so much for getting what you want because now you're dead. You know, but this is crazy is what they would do. Now, it still goes on to this day. And I quote, a lot, and we dealt with this before, certainly in Satanism. Right? They got their own calendar too. And they, got, and they don't hide it. You can go research it. They even tell you who they're going to abduct, what ages, male or female, and for what purpose. This goes on every year without fail. And as I made the pitch repeatedly when we dealt with that study, 16 weeks on Satanism, you and I keeping our mouth shut does not help these people who are being abducted. Yes, praise God, people are waking up with child abduction that is going on around the world. But you better also get your head out of the sand. Some of those abductions are for human sacrifice. It isn't just for the sex trade. Right? Uh, but still to this day, an informant told a quote uh, of uh, Dr. Ann Ross, a native of Perthshire, took her to the quote sacred square where the rites were performed. The informant remembered witnessing the rituals as a young girl before the First World War. In, the uh, in her description, she said a bonfire, bonfire was lit. Then the oatmeal pancake was made with much care. A darkened area appeared. The cake was then sliced into pieces and placed in a bag. Onlookers drew pieces out of the bag, and the person who drew the charred slice had to jump through the fires, over the bone fire, okay, and was driven from the area with shouts and jeers as a kind of a scapegoat. But the informant said, but in the old days, they were sacrificed. Finally, the Druids not only were skilled at uh, this stuff, you saw reading of omens and as sick as that is, but also, again, just like shamanism, all the other ones, interpretation of dreams, astronomy, and, quote, sex magic. In fact, the Catholic monks believed that the Druids were able to wield power over nature and could create a dense fog or summon up storms, etc., etc. Now, it's a good thing it all went away. No, it didn't. Exactly like we saw with witchcraft, okay, it's just been repackaged. In witchcraft, we saw... They just relabeled it, modernized it, even here in America, put an Americana spin on it, and they call it Wicca. But it's the exact same thing for a whole new generation that doesn't want to be, you know, uh, looked bad upon because, you know, we all know that witches are bad, right? Same thing with Druidism. Now, the term that they have, yes, Neo-Druidism today is what it's called, right? But the bigger term that is out there is they just simply call it Druidry. So witchcraft just got changed to Wicca. Druidism got changed, changed to Druidy. Ooh, it's the same thing, right? But again, they've repackaged themselves as a nature-worshipping, nature-conserving movement. And people are getting sucked up into it, hardcore. 
and I'm going to expose that here in just a little bit. But it still exists today. They just changed the name. Uh, name. And what's interesting is the reason why it took off again was at the exact same time historically that we saw this movement take off. Okay, it's called the Romantics, and it was not that cool 80s group things we saw before. This was the people that uh, in the 18th century that began to reject the Bible, but were still interested in spiritual things. And it was the Romantics that came out and began to say, Satan is a good guy. Remember that? And that was the birth of early Satanism. Same time frame. If they didn't go into the uh, Satanism, early form of it, the other aspect, it drove them to this, back to nature worship, druidry. So it's this exact same time. Again, what's the lesson there? You get off of this, people are still spiritual in nature. I'll even say atheists are, Right? You ever see an atheist who's superstitious? Don't walk under that ladder. Ooh, little black cat. What? Yeah. And the old phrase, there's no atheists in foxholes. Right? Yeah. You, there's still a spiritual side. Right? But they're going to worship something. And so you reject God and you reject the Bible, you're going to worship something. Churches today, listen, who get off the Bible, don't preach the Bible. Because they think that I don't want to preach too much of this because my goal now is not spiritual growth. Learning God's word, a disciple, that's what the word disciple means, a disciplined learner, methetes. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, we're just wanting to get a bunch of people to come. Well, guess what? You're off the Bible. And so you get, you're going to still, you're going to worship something, but what are they worshiping? Now, as we saw before, they're worshiping self. Church services are all about self, self-love, self-respect, self-esteem, self-finances, uh, 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 self-this and self-self-self, which is the number one law of Satanism. You're going to worship something, Right. But see, even churches, the lesson is this, never get off this book. Never, because you will end up worshiping something. What did we just read in Psalms? Israel, they didn't stop worshiping. They just stopped worshiping Jehovah. You're going to worship something. In fact, dare I say right now, you are right now worshiping someone. And if it's not God, you better get back on track. Who's your God? All right. But let's continue on. Uh, Druidism, now called Druidry for our modern society. Uh, is a, a, a nature and, quote, spirituality movement. Uh, in the 18th century, modern druids or druidry developed fraternal organizations modeled after Freemasonry. Shocker. And by 2020, modern druidry has now spread to 34 nations across six continents. And again, part of it, big part of it, is because their seemingly interest on nature. I just worship God in nature. And we need to save the planet. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly where this is all coming from. It's old-fashioned Druidism, relabeled as Druidry. But if you don't want to be like that girl and shave your head and go all that way, then don't you want to work together to save the planet? I mean, we've got to stop those people killing the whales and the trees. <laughs> That's Druidism. And people are getting into this, folks. Because guess what? That is their form of worship. Have you ever met a hardcore environmentalist? They're religious about it because that is their God. That is their form of worship. It's Druidism. They don't, that's why I said a lot of people are Druids and they don't even know it. Dare I say even people who profess to be Christians. Okay. Now, this would include organizations today. Earth first. Not what happened to God first. Earth first. Greenpeace. Earth day. Earth day has definite Druid backgrounds. Right now, Earth Day has a network of 1 billion people in more than 193 countries. The official theme for 2023 was invest in our planet. Got to save Mother Earth. 
right? And it's being promoted for kids. Let me give you one example real quick. Happy Earth Day, everyone! Earth Day is a special day celebrated all over the world on April 22nd every year. On Earth Day, people come together to learn about how we can protect the environment and keep Earth clean and healthy. The reason it's important to protect the environment is that we share the Earth with lots of amazing plants and animals. And some of the things that we do, like chop down trees, generate electricity, and drive cars, can affect the places those plants and animals live. Sometimes we can affect those places so much that animals have a hard time finding food and shelter or having babies, and they become endangered. Now, we're used to all this, but can I just translate it for you? You're going to think this is a little bit wild. That was a kid's commercial, a commercial for kids to get involved in Druidism. Oh, no, come on. Earth Day. When is it celebrated? April 22nd. And I quote, Earth Day is celebrated in the United States on April 22nd. The rest of the world is celebrated either on April 22nd or the day of the vernal equinox occurs. We're going back to the calendar. It's not by chance the day that this happens. This is a form of Druid worship. In fact, in 1969, it started then at the UNESCO, UN, Chalker, in San Francisco, a guy named John McConnell, McConnell, that sounds Irish or Scottish, uh, proposed the day to honor the earth, uh, and it was first observed on March 21st, 1970, which is the first day of spring, which is their calendar, as well as in April, but it's continued today. So it's the same thing. So it's exactly has spiritual connotation. It's just old-fashioned Druidism called Druidry, but if Druidry is still too obvious for Druidism, it's just let's be an environmentalist and save the planet together. That's all it is. It's repackaged Druidism. Okay, Druidry is also described as a nature-venerating movement. Okay, And it conceives of the natural world as being involved with a spirit that is alive and dynamic. And I quote, listen to this, 89% of the world's Druids today, 89%, so basically all of them in the world, practice, quote, two things called nature connection and environmental stewardship work. What's that? That's the environmental movement. But you can't say Druidism or Druidry because people say, oh, I'm not one of those pagan people. Just call it the environmental movement. Save the planet. Recycle Rex. All this baloney. Climate change. All this stuff, folks, is old-fashioned druidry. Now, let me describe that nature connection. Listen to this. Tell me if this doesn't sound. This is 89% of druids practice this. It involves spending time alone in nature while maintaining a full century and spiritual awareness of whatever or whoever may be nearby. Environmental steward worship. Druids regularly participate in these activities. So this is druidism from their camp 89% of them, this is what they do. This is their form of worship, and I quote, restoring native ecosystems, creating wildlife habitats, growing organic food crops, composting, installing solar and wind power systems, and changing personal consumption habits to protect the environment from damage. What is that? That's the whole environmental movement. That's straight-up Druidism. It's all it's been just being repackaged. It's a form of pagan Worship. They're also involved in environmental activism, right? Back to your earth first and all those kind of uh, Greenpeace, all that kind of stuff. And dare I quote, not just to save the planet from the threat of pollution, and I quote, population control. Because they believe, the Druids believe, they're critical of society being governed by consumerism 
environmental exploitation and technology. What's that? That's our world today. Okay? Now, and again, that's the environmental movement in a nutshell. Now, if Earth Day doesn't get you indoctrinated into basically modern Druidism or Druidry, right, uh, then you could just flat out go into these courses. They're everywhere. I don't have time. I could have a whole message on just all the different avenues that you, you and I, we get banned for teaching the Bible. Uh, we, they delete it. We can't even, we, the, the whole last phase that we did on Klaus Schwab, not one of them made it to YouTube. Not one, not one. So after the first strike, we just said, forget it. And so we went, of course, everything's on the teaching website. That's where you always need to go. Get a life media.com. Go to get, right, it's all there. And then, of course, on our Rumble channel and things of that nature. But not one. But these guys, you go out there. It isn't just with witchcraft and voodoo and shamanism and Satanism. Man, they got, they're even doing rituals there. They're doing 101. Here's how to do this spell and all this stuff. But you and I can't preach the Bible, right? Same thing with Druidism, man. They've got it down to a, a science, man. They've got their own YouTube channels. Here's how to do this ritual. In fact, let me give an example. Here's how to take their course. And dare I say, a lot of people who start off in the environmental movement, because we all got a spiritual nature, you're going to worship something, guess what they eventually go into? This. They go that next step, and it becomes their religion, right? But here's one of their courses they offer. Hello, this is Emer Bird. When you join the Order, you begin a journey of discovery that can be truly life-changing. The Order's teachings are conveyed in a course that combines exercises, meditations, rituals that you can carry out at home with poetry and stories, and everything you need to know about the practice and philosophy of Druidry. You can choose to receive the course in printed format sent through the post. And every month, a package will arrive with ceremonies and guarsi, what we call the lessons, that build to form a collection of teachings that have helped thousands of people all over the world develop a closer connection with nature and with their own sense of meaning and purpose. Or you can choose to access the same training program online that also includes films and audio tracks of meditations, storytelling, poetry and music. Or you can, if you like, choose to receive both the monthly mailings and the online course combined. However you choose to follow the course, a wonderful adventure lies ahead of you, full with magic, learning, community, and friendship. And demons. You left that one out for some reason. You know what's sad about that? That is more sophisticated, cutting-edge, being smart with technology, reaching your culture. You could even do it on an online course, all for free, than most churches today. That's what's sad on top of that. Druids also practices, you heard, meditation to get into an altered state of consciousness to, quote, connect with nature. Let me give you one quick example. This simple meditation allows you to connect with nature through the elements and offers you a taste of what Druid tradition is all about. Begin by finding a quiet place outdoors and stand or sit in a comfortable position. Take three breaths, connect with the sky, and then with the first breath, the second breath with waters, you know, and things of that nature in the earth. Now, here's what you do. Now, they, it's the four elements. Again, this is a perfect meshing with witchcraft, as we saw before, the four elements and circle and all that stuff. It, here's what you do. Draw your attention, they say, to the element of air as you're out there in nature. 
to element of air through your senses. Pay attention to the leaves blowing. Feel the wind upon your skin. Taste the breeze upon your tongue. Smell the fresh air. Uh, Now move to the element of fire. Feel the warmth of the sun on your skin. See the sun's rays landing uh, upon the vibrant earth. Take it all in. Next, consider the element of water. Again, notice the four elements, which is witchcraft. Feel the humidity in the air. See the shimmering of the nearby lake. Taste the distant rain uh, upon the wind. Okay. Uh, Consider the element of the earth now. Feel the strength of the earth beneath your feet and the coolness of the stone you're sitting upon. See the way the land curves around you and observe the strength of the oaks reaching into the heavens. Connect with the earth as long as you need. Quote, finally, feel yourself deeply connected to the elements here upon this landscape in the nature. Recognize that you are a part of nature. This world is your home and you are welcome within it. (gasps) Breathe in deeply and be at peace. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like those people we hear that profess to be Christians. Oh, I don't go to church services. I worship God in nature. Yeah, Yeah, what God? Where'd you get this mentality that you're going to connect with God in nature above connecting with him around his word in the fellowship of like-minded Christians? It comes from Druidism. That's where that mentality comes from. Because that's where they do their worship services is in nature. That's where they connect with the gods and the goddesses and the spirits. That's not biblical at all. And you hear that from a lot of Christians. I worship God in nature. I don't need to go to church. It's crazy and sad, right? But that's where that's coming from. Now, if you don't think that they're merging uh, uh, with other, quote, religions, they are. And again, the core of Druidism, what attracts so many people, we'll get to this in a second, is you make it up as you go. Now, where do we see that before? Witchcraft, you make it up as you go. Satanism, you make it up as you go. Number one law, do what you will shall be the whole law. That's why so many people are attracted to it because you just do whatever you want. New age, make it up as you go. Hinduism, as you go, right? Voodoo, make it up as you go. Shamanism, as you go, right? And so you just kind of merge whatever you want, okay? Now let me show you how it's merging with Catholicism in an even deeper level than what we've already seen the last three studies, okay? Uh, Watch this. This is from... Uh, what the Druid, you saw the course video, this is from the same site, okay? And uh, they have a whole section here on how you can blend Druidism with your Christianity. Now, what you, you can see right there, Christianity and Druidry, again, the modern term for Druidism. Now, really what they mean by Christianity is not Christianity, it's Catholicism. But that's the lie of the world is under that Catholicism is the same thing as Christianity, it's not. It's a false gospel. It's just as much of a false gospel, works-based gospel, as Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, on down the line. Because you've got to keep the sacraments to be saved. That's not the gospel. right? But most people don't know that. So when they're talking about Christianity and Druidry, and this, and this is from the Druid website, then they teach you how to blend it all together. Because it's, you just pick whatever you want. right? Including elements of Druidism. Now, if you don't think it's Catholicism, look down, scroll a little further, and you're going to see... They even provide, you can combine with the, the calendar, with the bulk and the candle mass, and what? It works perfectly with Lent, right? Not from your dryer. That is that Catholic practice, that somehow you're becoming spiritual because you gave something up, etc., blah, 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 which is uh, uh, not a tradition that we practice, okay? Now, to get even further, this is even more blasphemous. They even have, of course, big time on poetry, right? Here's a poem. This one is, I just gave you an example. We could be here all day with what they, how they suggest to blend it all together with 
Christianity, really Catholicism. Jesus and Merlin, I'll just focus on the one phrase there in the middle. Take this cup and drink from it, says the one. This is the cauldron of inspiration and wisdom, says the other. So they just merge it all together. And they say, see, we can all get along. It's crazy. Now, if you think that's blasphemous, watch this. This is a girl that I would assume is professing to be a Christian, but more likely a Catholic. Okay, she's having her second meeting now with Druids, and she's going to open it up in prayer. Listen to how she prays. And the whole thing of getting together is how we could all find commonality with one another. Watch this. Welcome, Sean and Philip. It's so wonderful to have you both joining me again for this conversation um, around the intersection of Druidry and Christianity. Um, this is part two. Um, our first part we did, what, oh, back in November, I think, in, um, yeah, in November 2022. Um, and we discussed some of the things that uh, are relatable for Christians and Druids and how, how we can bring these two parts together. But um, we wanted to come back together again so that we can go deeper and maybe um, cross some of the territory that might be a little bit um, difficult, I guess, between these two spiritual paths that can sometimes be quite conflicting. Um, so let's begin first by taking a deep breath. And we want to give thanks for this day. And we want to ask for the blessings of the ancestors of these rich spiritual traditions, for the blessings of the gods and the goddesses, for the blessings of the land, sea and sky, and all the beings who dwell therein, for the blessings and grace of God herself, Jesus Christ, and all the angels and saints. May they guide us towards deeper understanding and unity in our search for the divine within us and without. I bet you you go up to that girl. And by the way, the people I'm showing, it, uh, my prayer, I'm not joking, and I hope you make it yours too. God, if they're still alive, please save them. They're being deluded. But here's my point. I bet you if she's still alive, and I hope she's saved, but if she's not, you go up to her and say, are you Christian? You know what she's going to say? Yep. Yes. Not even close, right? People don't get behind the veneer, right? But, but this is what's going on. Now, what'd she say? God herself. Now, why would she say that? That's Catholicism, Mary, worship, Mary worship. All the saints, the divine within and without, total blasphemy. But this is what's going on. Because modern Druidism is, quote, universalistic, inclusive, accepts other belief systems, and they can be, believe that you can fuse any of them all together. Druids can be monotheistic, duotheistic, polytheistic, animistic, pantheistic, depending, here's the key phrase, on what spiritual path the individual decides to pursue. What? That puts you in the position of God. You get to decide what is true, what is false, what is right and wrong. What's that? That's the lie of Genesis 3. Satan, you will be like God knowing good and evil. You could discern, uh, discern that now. That's where it's all coming from, right? And Druidism believes that, quote, listen, tell me this doesn't sound familiar where this comes from. No one system of thought is truer than the other. Not only do you hear people professing to be Christians, right, and say, well, I, I, I worship God in nature, straight out of Druidism. You also hear them that, well, that's your interpretation, you believe whatever you believe. I'll believe whatever I believe. Straight out Druidism. Also known in secular philosophy, relativism. But it comes out of Druidism. That you could just 
mix and match. And that's basically the heart of New Age and the other ones we talked about before. No one system is truer than the other. Excuse me, what about John 14, 6? Jesus said he is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. Right? So you can't have your cake and eat it too. Right? You can't say he was right on one thing and then say he got it wrong. No, it doesn't work that way. Now, there's another thing that is big in Druidism. Tell me this doesn't sound familiar. Because they're inclusive, because it's up to the individual, because your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, and you could add to your plate whatever you want, this is at the heart of it. It's a word called tolerance. Sound familiar? That is everywhere. But see, the definition that you and I were brought up with tolerance has changed. We think it's to tolerate with somebody, put up with somebody. No, the new definition of tolerance is you have to believe from your heart another person's belief, even though it completely contradicts yours. And if you don't believe that from the heart, then you're a bigot. That's the new definition of tolerance. And it's not just in the world, it's in the church. Watch this video again. Some of you say, wait a minute, I thought tolerance was good. That's the problem. That's the problem. Little Johnny comes home from school and that very sincere Christian mother from the most Fundamental evangelical church meets little Johnny. Says, honey, how was school today? Oh, mommy, we what'd you talk about? We talked about tolerance. And that Christian mother goes, oh, that's wonderful. You know, Jesus taught us to be tolerant. Absolutely not. That mother is undermining everything that she believes. And it won't take years. It only take months to come back and halt her. Say, wait a minute, I don't get this. The reason is this. Right now, there's two distinct separate definitions of tolerance. One, I call historical or traditional tolerance. It's a one that almost every one of us here have been conditioned to think by. And how you're listening to me through traditional tolerance, I am speaking from a whole new definition of tolerance. Traditional tolerance would be defined by Webster. To bear or put up with someone or something not especially liked. Or in our circles, we'd say... You know, God has called me as a Christian to love the sinner, but to hate the sin. That's one of the most bigoted statements you can make today. You make that average statement in average classroom today, and that entire class would turn on you. The bigotry, the intolerance to say, love the sinner, hate the sin. The reason is, there's a second definition of tolerance. And I would say 80% of the time, outside the walls of the church, when you hear the word tolerance, whether the media, magazine, school, or what, it is not the tolerance you're conditioned to think by. It's a whole new definition of tolerance. 80% of the time, it's a new definition. The tolerance you were brought up with is now referred to as negative tolerance. The new tolerance is called positive tolerance. It's defined this way. Every single individual's values, beliefs, lifestyle, and claims to truth are equal. Then repeat that. All values... All beliefs, all truth, all lifestyles are equal. And if you dare to say there's a value or belief, a lifestyle or a claim to truth greater than another, that is called hierarchy, and that's the new definition of bigotry. A bigot today has nothing to do with racism or anything. A bigot today is someone who's committed to moral hierarchy, that there's difference in values, beliefs, lifestyle, or claims to truth. Positive tolerance adds the word praise. What it means is this, we not only want your permission, we demand your praise. And if you do not praise my value, my lifestyle, my claim to truth, as equal to your own, now listen to this, as equal to your own from the heart, you are a bigot and you are intolerant. That's right. 
from the heart. It's called positive tolerance. Let me show you just how it's hit the church, just a little briefly. Can you tell me historically what's been the number one verse quoted from the scriptures by Christians, non-Christian, Christian young people, non-Christian young people, the media, everything. What's the number one verse quoted historically by the scriptures? John 3, 16. What it is now? Have you all been listening? You've been listening to your own young people? Can anyone tell me now, by far way out front of everything, what's the number one verse quoted even by Christian young people from the Bible? Number one now, what is it? Judge not that you be not judged. Listen. Why? The moment you make a judgment, you're saying there's hierarchy. And that makes you a bigot and intolerant. And it makes you stand against the number one virtue in culture, tolerance. All is equal. Christian love and the number one virtue of culture today cannot coexist. In fact, I'll go as far to say that Christian love is the number one enemy of the number one virtue in culture, tolerance. In fact, men and women, I'll say this. I believe now it's a point as a pastor, evangelist, someone like that, it is very difficult to be popular and faithful. Jesus loved that woman at the well. And in love and compassion, he said to her, go call your husband. She said, sir, I don't have a husband. In loving compassion, Jesus said, that's right. You've had five husbands and the one you're living with now is not your husband. Jesus exposed her lifestyle. He was witnessing to her. He exposed her lifestyle. Now speak to me. Did Jesus expose her lifestyle as an alternate lifestyle or a sinful lifestyle? You're a bigot. What right do you have to say that? You're intolerant. Who do you think you are that have the corner on truth? What right do you have to make any moral judgment on someone? He didn't love. If you don't believe me, that's not true. You tried anywhere in culture right today. You just traveled me one week into the high schools and universities. And Jesus did it in love. Christian love and tolerance cannot coexist. We better wake up. A warning about 20 years ago is when that was done. And because I don't think we took that warning serious, where are we at today? This is the most intolerant book on the planet, if you read it literally, as it's supposed to be taken. Because our interpretation is intolerant, saying that homosexuality is wrong, that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And it's not our belief. We're just quoting the Bible. But this is why right now we're seeing, because we didn't listen to the spiritualism that has taken over our country, even the churches, flipping from John 3.16 to judge not lest you be judged. By the way, as we dealt with many times before, that passage in the context does not say you should never judge. That's a whole twisting of the scripture there. Read the rest of the passage. But everything that we believe as evangelical Christians is a hierarchy based on do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs from God. That by nature is now intolerable. And of course, it's completely hypocritical. People who say that there are no absolutes just made an absolute statement. People who say that you and I are being intolerant are actually intolerant of our belief. Right? It's hypocritical, but that doesn't matter. This is where this is all coming from. It's coming from Druidism. 
and a lot of these other religions we dealt with. This is why people get sucked in. It's the Genesis 3 light. You will be like God. Want to join witchcraft? Make it up however you want. Want to become a Satanist? Well, do whatever you want. You want to do voodoo, shamanism, druidism? Hey, add anything. New age, hey, just keep adding whatever you want. You want to live this? You want to do that? Who's to tell you what you can do? Selfism, the very thing that caused the fall of Satan is permeating our society. It's just been repackaged with this word tolerance. Now, let me show you where we're at today, and we'll close. This is another person who claims this time not to be a Catholic, but a Christian. But they have this tolerant attitude combined with, and this is why we did a 42-week study on this, charismatic chaos. Because it's combined with this attitude, you get to decide what's right and wrong, but you got to add a little bit of spiritual element to it. It isn't just, okay, this is what I believe. God told me to tell you. God gave me a vision. This is the charismatic danger. God, because you're out of this book. I had this dream, I had this vision. Look, I can feel it right now. God is speaking to me through. This is a, a new revelation, a new wind of God, a new spirit. All that verbiage combined with you get to make it up makes what you're doing sound spiritual with Christianese. We've allowed that to go along for so long and haven't called that into check. Now we're at this stage. This just came out. Jackie Yo-Yo sent this to me, right? And, uh, but uh, this is a Christian saying that God's getting ready to do a new thing. And wait to see what this new thing's supposed to be. This is how far it's gone. Let's take a look at this. When someone comes along and says, God is adding a New Testament to the Bible, you need to be very leery of what that person is saying. Okay, this has been something that has been sitting with me for a minute. And the way it was just brought to me, there is no denying that I understand that this is something that he, that he indeed wants me to say. At first, I wasn't sure. Because I'm like, uh, okay, yeah, I know this. Everybody knows this. But people... I wasn't thinking about it in the sense of like how people are going to receive it because I don't care at the end of the day. As long as I know that God is telling me to say it, I'm going to say it. And I don't mean that to sound as rude as I did. But with that being said, we all know that God is doing a new thing, right? This is something big, okay? This is literally world changing. But because this is world changing, people are not going to perceive this quite yet. I'm not going to put limits on what God is going to do because, quite frankly, God can make y'all a believer in a snap of the finger. But with that being said, I'm going to say this. I don't know what all God is doing in making all things new, but God is about to start ordaining or probably has already ordained, but making it known that he is ordaining same-sex marriages. Yes, listen, I know, I know. Listen to me, listen to me. I know, I know, I know. But in the Bible, it says this. Yes, that I, y'all don't understand how, who oh, I already feel it. Yes, you are, you are correct. Your Bible is correct for that time period. God is making all things new. I know, I know, we all know this, right? But a lot of us don't want to believe that this has something to do with that. I'm here to tell you, in fact, it does. Do you see where it's led? You combine 
tolerance, a new definition, Druidism, anything goes, you make it up, the lie of Genesis 3, with charismatic chaos mentality, God told me to tell you, and that's what we're at now. And you and I will be considered the spiritual fuddy-duddies. The way we interpret the Bible will become the wrong way. We'll be guilty of a hate crime because we're now intolerant. This is where it's all coming from. Again, like the other girl that we saw in the video, combining the God, the female, blasphemy, I bet you go up to this guy, and again, if he's still alive, not saved, I don't think he's saved based on what he's doing personally, but I hope he gets saved. But my point, you go up to that guy today, he say, are you Christian? What would he say? Yes. Yes. Is he? No. I don't think so. Not based on what he's saying because he's not following the word. Right? And if your whole basis of salvation is God told me to... T- what? Really? And, and then say that he's condoning something that in the scripture he actually calls an abomination. And not just that sin, but any sin. It's nuts. But this is where we're at today. A lot of people don't understand. A lot of this is coming from a spiritual source not just a world belief system, right? Really what you just saw in a nutshell is now the not Catholic and Druidism merging together to use the phrase Christian Druidism. That's what that's it, that is. And now that's creeping into the church because most churches today don't even teach the Bible. They won't even touch topics like this, let alone prophecy or anything else. And what I feel sad is People like that, I'm convinced that when the rapture happens, they're Christians in name only, but you know what's going to happen? They're going to be left behind. And when the order goes out to have a one world religion, they're going to be on the front lines thinking that's the Christian thing to do. It's sad. How many churches in Vegas will still have a lot of people worshiping their version of Christianity and they'll be in the seven-year tribulation? Deceived is right. It's sad. It's very unfortunate. So we just uh, saw uh, thought Druidism was just a minor sect. Why are we dealing with that? Because it has everything to do with not just merging with Catholicism. Wonder why they do what they do. That was a big thing. Okay, but also even what's now creeping into the church again. It's everywhere. Just like witchcraft, Satanism, spiritualism, voodoo, shamanism, Druidism, and Lord willing, next time with the big conclusion, (gasps) vampirism. It's a good thing people aren't being conditioned to go into that kind of sick behavior. Oh, yeah, we'll deal with that as we finish up our study. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God out of love gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. 
And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief, I'm a blasphemer, I'm an adulterer, I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row, it's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused 
to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.